You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Rick and Sean. Uh, Rick is first this time. Yay! <laughs> so on today's episode, we're going to talk about, well, something related to return on investment. In particular, somebody sent us a really great email asking for our services or asking about our services, and they uh, equated... Uh, or, you know, and they, and they did some math and that kind of thing. We're just going to read the email out and, and respond. They are a podcast listener, so it, hopefully they'll get value. But we figured that everybody would receive value from this. And so, but first, we've got news. Nerd news. It's hey, everyone. Ah, <laughs> oh, you ruined my intro. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> so we have a couple of cool things going on and some crappy things going on and everything in between, I guess. But, well, let's talk about the stock market first. At this point, I'm really glad I did not invest into Bitcoin. I had, uh, you know, I, I in January, we just kind of moved and I had no money. It's all just tied up in the walls of my house. It's like invisible money and it's increasing and decreasing at a rate that it just the wall, the paint of the walls don't change. And yet the value of this increases and decreases, I'm sure. You know, this in a couple of years from now, it'll be worth half as much. And a couple of years from that, it'll be worth three times as much. You can put um, NFT for your house. <laughs> they <laughs> should. Tokenize it. Oh, man. My, my poor doggy coin. My, my dog. I think I need to put him out of his misery. <laughs> yeah. Not even Elon Musk can save that one. But yeah, Bitcoin really dropped significantly. And that was, I mean, it went like it took yeah, a like serious like 50%, drop. isn't it? Like, yeah. Let I me look it, up Bitcoin these days. It's height. It was at like sixty thousand the last I looked at. Oh, it's it. It's up a little bit. It's okay. recovered. Um, okay, yeah, so. it was. Yeah, normally it's it, it ranges usually on average like a 45 ish. It's been lately the, this past year. Um, I yeah. did drop down in the twenties. Right now it's at just hit thirty. So yeah, it's 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 certain a little bit. But yeah, it was so. at this price around this time last year. So ah, okay, there you go. So if you if you yeah. look in perspective of you know the year. Then it doesn't look as alarming. Well, but then you look at the stock market, and the stock market had actually its single worst day since June twenty twenty. June like it's like June twentieth or so of twenty twenty when like the stock market reeled from coronavirus and all that was happening. Uh, people were afraid and and whatnot. That's also because you guys are all buying the wrong stock. You know, it's the <laughs> yeah you know, the majority of stocks are tanking, but there's a couple up there that are going up. Yeah. So it, it reminds me of this situation in 2020, June, and that we went through. We, we actually started offering you know, full-on marketing services for Kickstarter campaigns and things like that. And we uh, all of a sudden had a, a dip in leads where everybody around the month of, I want to say, April, they started to withdraw from you know marketing their games. And... Um, yeah, so leads started slowing down in April, and it was because people there was you know all of the coronavirus panic kind of began in the month of March, and I remember going to a convention Gamma the Gamma Trade Show toward the end of March, and it was the last convention that I've been to actually, and it's been uh, over two years since I've been to a convention, uh, which will change in about ten days, but um, for BGG Spring. 
people didn't really want to go to Kickstarter with their project. They felt like there were going to be less audience uh, interested in backing games and things like that. And April 1st rolls around and Gloomhaven launches, or I'm sorry, Frosthaven, which raised about almost $13 million. And what I found was during the month of April and May were kind of the two big months that everybody stopped. Well, Kickstarter had a, a you know, a pretty big dip in the amount of new projects that at least that, that came across our desk. And what we found is that there were a lot fewer people marketing in general. So when the number of competitors drop, you get, it becomes a lot easier to actually, you know, reach more people for less money. And so we were getting leads for some of our clients for like 30 to 35 cents per lead. It was like 28 to 35 cents per lead. And the conversion rates were just the same as before, but the price per clicks dropped like massively. They, they became about a third of what they were. And in a way, it's kind of reminding me of what's happening today with this stock market thing where, you know, we are seeing um, a contraction in the amount of disposable income that people have. Uh, people are spending a lot of money, but the money that they're spending is increasingly going to essentials, which is causing a contraction on their, um, their disposable income, uh, you know, and gas is costing more and the price of food is going up and, you know, that sort of thing. And so I just thought to at least bring it up, you know, and how it may affect the future of Kickstarter or the immediate future of Kickstarter. Um, I was wondering if you guys had thoughts on that. I have thoughts. I have thoughts. I believe that we're going to be okay. And it's, I'm actually looking at the NASDAQ right now and it actually uh, now just, just lets your audience know we uh, do not promote any future trading whatsoever. All of our opinions are our own and do not represent anything. Thank you very much. We're not a lawyer and we're not your lawyer. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> just like Sean mentioned about Bitcoin, how it was, you know, it's, it's, it's low, but it's actually about the same as it was a year ago. If you look at the NASDAQ, it's crashing too, just like you know, all the other like the other stock exchanges. But it's still higher now than it was a year ago. And in fact, it looks like the the, the stock market had a major, like big boost in October to December of last year. And then after December, it starts, it's been slowly sort of going down. But even though it's going down, it's still higher than last year at this time. So, you know, composite index. Let me make sure my numbers are right here. So one year. Oh, I lied. NASDAQ's not doing as well. <laughs> <laughs> However, though, NASDAQ is still doing better than it did in 2020. So there you go. Yeah. Sorry, I gave it two years. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I look at a couple of things to determine the actual people's spending power and other things like that. You look at trends in markets and what's happening with building, for example, home, home building and um, construction, real estate, all everything tied in mortgages and lending that tends to be the first thing to be impacted when there's a recession where people stop purchasing. Um, there are actually people that are, you know, ma major companies like Goldman Sachs and uh, firms like that. They're buying up entire neighborhoods because they expect that the rent, uh, the rental market will be really big. A lot of people are going to have to rent and, and that kind of thing. That was, that's basically wisdom earned from a, like 2008 era where we really did go through a massive major recession and, and it took a while to recover and, and all that. What I find is that 
even when you look at 2008, like the board game industry just was growing like a rocket ship at that time. And you look at today, the board game industry, especially on Kickstarter is, I mean, choo-choo, the train has left the station. It's making a lot more money even this year than, than last year. And um, I think that that's due to a lot more people entering the hobby and that trend is continuing. Even when COVID happened, the number one of the number one products to just jump through the sky was board games, board games, video games, um, because people were kind of stuck at home and, and that sort of thing. And I think that that trend has this, this effect of, you know, more people actually entering into the hobby. More, more people entering into the hobby, even though overall, like as, as a disposable income is, is shrinking a little bit, more money is entering into the hobby because more people are finding out and that they enjoy this. And so um, I actually see the future, the immediate future of Kickstarter marketing and that kind of thing as, uh, as bright as it ever was, even though, the, you know, what you may see is you may see people elect to hold back their Kickstarters and, you know, based upon what they're looking at, um, you know, if, if the economy turns sour and things like that, I actually don't think that's going to affect Kickstarter, uh, at least board games on Kickstarter as much as, you know, the, the fear mongering would have you believe. Do you have your survival pack ready? Do you have, you know, at least three to six months worth of food and water and whatnot? It might look like I have six months of food, but that's just because I have a ton of children. Um, <laughs> it goes fast. I actually have like random bags of rice just hanging around, you know, the house. And <laughs> my girlfriend saw them one day. She's like, really? I'm like, yeah, you never know. <laughs> we do have a bunch of deer that roam our house, uh, our property. And oh, you can hunt. Deer us. hunter. Yes. I got bow and arrow. Dude, I, I don't have a bow and arrow yet, but I, I need one. I almost bought a bow and arrow because they were so cool. It's just, it was like a, a recurve bow, but it only allowed you to shoot one side and I wanted to be like Lars Anderson and shoot both. And it was like, <laughs> this bow can't help me do that. Let's talk about a great game that's coming out. Uh, RuneScape is coming out at the end of May. And there's a couple things that they're trying to do differently on Kickstarter to make it look a little more, I don't know, maybe we'll all, let me, let me go over it and we'll see what you guys think about it. The first thing is they've released their pledge tiers already early. And then the second thing is they're trying to gamify their Kickstarter a little more by allowing people, you know, the uh, contributors to vote on, what do you call it? Stretch goals. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to like, you know, make gamified rewards as they go. In fact, they said that ba says backers will be unlocking new cards by exploring Gilinor, which I believe uh, is the land that it's covering using a voting system. The first thing that they did that you mentioned was they released the pledge level so you can actually figure it out. They are doing a lot of things really well. Uh, one of the things I like is that the pledge tiers have been revealed already so that there are no surprises. This is something that I actually did also with Deliverance because I felt like the people that are following, I want them to be in the know already so that when they get to the page, nothing is a surprise and that they can plan. Uh, you know, there's there's basically another paycheck or two that people will get in between now and when RuneScape ends or three paychecks, I guess. It's enough time to help people plan for future expenses. I, I think that I'm not exactly sure when they reveal those pledge levels, but I think that it's smart to reveal them beforehand. Um, if they're that way, I mean, if there are any problems, people can voice those opinions and 
you know, you can make corrections, but, um, you know, when there are no surprises, people tend to just jump right in without any, you know, if uh, the problem is, I guess the principle of the, uh, of the matter goes back to, if you make people think, then less of them are going to buy. So if thought is required in order to jump in on this RuneScape pledge or any Kickstarter uh, pledge, they, you know, people are not going to buy right away. They're going to hold off. They're going to have to quote unquote, think about it. Most of the time they actually don't do any thinking. They just get onto some other task and uh, decide later if they want it or if they don't want it. But if you get them off the fence right away and get them to make a decision right away, that is going to result in more people backing because, you know, some people are going to decide, yes, this is good. Other people will say, no, I don't want this. And then there's a third group that if they had to think about it, they just would never think about it again. You know, and then maybe they would say something in a Facebook group, like I'm just waiting till it comes to retail without any idea if it actually comes to retail or care. Really, There are enough games out there that they missed out on one. It's not going to be the worst thing in the world. Certainly if they weren't convinced by the theme or the, the IP, they're not going to have this major sadness that they never got that game, you know? And so I, I think that it's super critical that um, we recognize giving pledge levels early is a good thing, especially when you have fans that care and want to know and, and that sort of thing. You'll have people plan on it. Like they'll say, they'll say to you, oh yeah, I've, I've planned uh, my budget around this so that I can afford it. And you'll have people that might not have backed your game otherwise jump in because, you know, they pre-planned everything. Around the beginning of April, they announced that they were going to do a board game on Kickstarter. And then, of course, like I said, about mid-May is when they released the pledge tiers. In a couple of days, you know, at the end of May, they're going to be actually doing the official Kickstarter launch. So that might be something that people start availing of when you are doing your pre-marketing, have your numbers ready, and then sharing it with your board game reviewers or play you know previewers so that they can include it in the video and then people have an idea not only of the gameplay but also the pricing and then also that's something to include in your email updates as well moving mm -hmm. forward so yeah that, that might be an interesting move for i know content curation sites to start including numbers in their announcement of certain types of games and what do you guys think about the uh, the voting for um, rewards? I think that might actually be a good thing because uh, it's it's one of the ways that you can get backer input so that they take ownership over the the types of games that they're or the types of decisions you're making, and if they get to contribute, they're more likely to uh, to to want to back and tell people and that kind of thing. I I do like that a lot, and they're doing a lot of good things. They're not just asking people via one-way communication. They have a Facebook group that's specific to this game, which we always advocate for a community of people that can talk to you, talk to one another, and that kind of thing. So they've got a group that they're building. On Facebook? Yeah, Facebook group. Uh, it's like 776 members. at 775 until I actually uh, joined. So, uh, but yeah, they're, they're doing a lot of things right. It seems like they're taking it seriously. I'm sure that they're probably going to be advertising to people that, you know, on Facebook that love RuneScape and whatnot. If it were me, I would definitely would have marketed this probably earlier than, than they did. I, I don't know. Maybe I just haven't been targeted yet by their ads, but I knew nothing about this project until you mentioned it. And it's going to Kickstarter. At, I mean, at the time of this podcast recording, 
we have uh, less than two weeks before it launches. You know, it's not a terrible thing. <laughs> not like sometimes I'm a hermit, you know, but it's one of those things that I, I wonder if they're relying on their massive video game they probably have so many emails from having a free game for so many years i think there's been 200 million registered accounts so they probably just shoot out an email saying yeah now there's a board game and <laughs> that's probably <laughs> free marketing done that's <laughs> what i think a lot of large companies rely on is pr public relations they you know especially with an ip like this that was a video game a uh, very popular you know classic video game they are going to rely on IGN and other websites like that to cover this. And that's usually where they get, where they try to communicate with everybody. I find that, you know, a lot of the time Facebook ads or, or things like that tend not to be a very large part of their strategy. And certainly the virtuous cycle of sending people to a landing page, getting them into a Facebook group or discord, and then, you know, warming them up and prepping them is usually not part of a strategy that that I see for larger companies. However, these guys um, seem like they're doing some of those things. They've got the Facebook group, they have a landing page, they um, are doing a lot of, and certainly we know they have an email list. And so um, they're writing blogs about this on their website and whatnot, and just getting their their folks, you know, the folks on their list ready for this, right? So. In terms of other news that happened this week, there's been a bit of drama within the board game industry. Oh, and no. drama on Facebook. Instead of covering the the drama itself, which I think only really throws you know, gasoline on that fire and then it kind of just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think it, there's a bigger, bigger point to be made here in general about controversy and basically conflict resolution over the internet. So does this benefit the board game industry is the bigger question. Does it really help people? Does it bring people together? Does it promote games that people want to play? Overall, I don't. I don't necessarily think so. I think there needs to be a process of dealing with conflict, conflict within any industry. But we can use this as an example. And what if someone, if someone grieves you, or you feel grieved by someone or a company? I think the first procedure to do is to not assume the worst and to first go to that person, approach them, message them. Ideally, get onto a, a video call because you're just going to have far better communication on a video call than through text communication, which I think a lot of this controversy that we're kind of using as an example probably was around text communication and the people assuming the worst based on that. You don't get turned of voice and inflection and those things. And then after that, if you know there still isn't a resolution, well then bring a witness, bring a friend, bring someone on board who can sort of affirm that this is a personal bias, there's a legitimate problem here. And only then if there isn't any type of resolution, then you make it public, then you make a YouTube video, then you call someone out. And I think there needs to be a process in place instead of just, I'm offended on the internet, I'm making a YouTube video and like telling the world, <laughs> which yeah. I think it's it's not very helpful for anyone. Just in, in general, I'd like to know your guys' thoughts. Have you, have you found that the quality of content on YouTube has just become very homogenized and I suppose de deteriorated over the years? Like there's far less original content it's far less sort of interesting and clever things. I kind of feel like everyone does reaction videos and, and like commentary videos and tries to like jump on some type of trend or some type of controversy. And I think this is really because of how YouTube's monetized, YouTube content is monetized. And it's really ultimately a, a problem of the platform itself. But what are your thoughts on that? Do you think 
that content overall has is getting worse and it's sort of like youtube kind of feels for me anyway it's like the bottom of the barrel that's like the, it's like the, the whoever can get to the bottom first is sort of like is the winner and I, I i don't know if it's helpful for actually curating content anymore you know the technology now is so available to anybody that everybody is on youtube or well most people are on youtube and so like for example you know my my younger brother he loves watching disney videos and the thing is is like you look at disney and all of a sudden you'll see like five people streaming at disney on the same day at the same time like it's literally there's so many people out there trying and of course they're all monetizing their their feed which <clears throat> also brings me to another point is 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 that i think youtube has gone from videos to who can get the most attention to get the most advertising money i think at least in my 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 opinion in fact this this drama is sort of sort of you know led to that as well i mean if you think about it so so the guy was complaining so the guy on youtube um just because i didn't really see it um he was complaining about a group being selective about their advertising is that what it was um, yeah without disclosing it was an, a paid advertisement gotcha. or, explicit, so, or explicitly ex- explaining it was a paid advertisement gotcha um i don't know if there's any legal ramifications on that or not depending on where he's publishing that stuff at but anyway the, the you know it's his it's his channel so he choo- he's choosing which which things he would like to promote and not not have seen on his channel which is his right but then so this the youtube video creates more drama to get more views and the guy's complaining about the guy picking and choosing advertising when he himself is on a monetized channel where he's getting advertising money for the amount of views he gets but he doesn't dis- he doesn't he doesn't disclaim that in his Video, I believe, is that correct? When he talks about the uh, the drama, no, he doesn't talk about the fact that his videos itself is monetized. So yeah, I think people just need to be transparent. The end and forgiving, you know. I think that's one thing for the you know just the moral of what what I would take away is just that it to me any kind of drama like this is something that is probably unnecessary. What is it? To err is human. To forgive is divine. I think that that is within your power to do. And if you don't like how that community is handled or whatever you're, you're, there are others that you can be a part of. And that's really the only way that I prefer to speak on something is I support it or I don't with my wallet and, or, or my time, you know, which kind of amount to the same thing in the end. Yeah. I was just going to add that. uh, I think at the end uh, he wanted to do like a, he wanted to get the other person live and talk together or on a video. And I'm like, that's just, that's not how you do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you guys have opposing views, that is, I mean, it's, it sounds like one of those like presidential, uh, project debates. Veritas finding him at a restaurant and being like, hello, sir, <laughs> you run a Facebook group, don't you? Just to, just to, to make a video to post it, to get more, to get more income. Um, right. I don't, it's just, yeah. So let's move into our topic at hand, which, uh, Rick, you have this email. You want to just read it from the, from the top and then we can. It's a long one. It. I'll quote a few things and summarize a few things. This email is from PJ. Hey PJ. It's a, it's a, I, I call it a, uh, critical inquiry sandwich. Cause he, he leads it off with some really great, uh, loves us and ends it with a lot of loves us. But in the middle, he's little critical so the loving part he's like i love you guys i love what you're doing i love the podcast like love 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 anyway so uh pj's concerned because um he's looking at one of our packages called the pre-launch campaign package talks about how the price you know the starting investments 9.99 the uh, month one investments 5.99 the second month investments 5.99 so he's saying it's 2200 dollars overall which he says is expensive now that's also 
how you look at it. I mean, if you're going to make, if you're only planning on making like $10,000 on your Kickstarter, yeah, that's probably not the option you want. But if you're looking at making more, then it's not, you know, it's, it's all comparative. Um, so for him, cause he's starting out, you know, he doesn't have the, I'm assuming he doesn't have a, a large budget. Um, it, yeah, it could be, it can be considered very expensive. And so we talk about typical results with a $20 a day ad spend. <clears throat> we talk about how you can get about 400, 800 emails with a 10 to 15% backer conversion rate on the first day. So he, he does some little math, <clears throat> excuse me, and he crunches out the numbers and with, you know, the investment and with the, the um, ad spend and stuff, he calculates that you're going to get 120 sales for $3,400, which comes to $28 per sale. And he wants to know if that's the best scenario, you know, that we have. <laughs> well, I love, I love that you sent an email in asking this question and, and gave some details. So in essence, what he's doing is he's putting together our service fees, which amount to about $2,200 for a pre Kickstarter through launch day type of service. And then he says, Hey, you know, uh, based on these numbers and a 15% conversion. So we, we estimated based on a, a you know, based with four to 800 emails. And so 15% of 800 emails, I believe is 120. That's where, he, that's where he gets that number. That's where he gets that number. So that number of backers, and he says, hey, that, that amounts to about $28 per backer. Now for a game like, uh, you know, Deliverance or Skyrim or, you know, whatever with a large, uh, you know, amount of, or, you know, an $89, deluxe edition or, 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 or higher, those numbers are really easy and very, very easy to justify. But in actuality, the, the true numbers are much different. So the first thing is we, th there are a lot of pieces that we put together, but the first one is that uh, regardless of the number of people that you bring, it's on the first day is a very important phrase that I don't want anybody to miss. So whatever we bring on the first day, that's going to be the biggest day of your campaign and that's your greatest chance for visibility on Kickstarter. So we're not, it's not a straight return on investment play. It's not like, Hey, if I invest $1, I need to get $3 back or it's not worth it. I, you know, it's, it's more of one of the, it's one of those things that is more about momentum. So if we generate 120 pledges, let's say uh, Kickstarter is going to bring additional pledges based upon people discovering it on their platform. So, uh, and remember the first day is the best chance that you have of breaking into the mainstream and on Kickstarter. That's where everybody will see the project, news agencies um, you know, of, of varying sizes will cover this project. There are a lot of people that, that cover what Kickstarters are out. You've got big organizations like the Dice Tower, you've got smaller organizations that cover and they, they will let humans know about your project. And that really sets the stage for the rest of your campaign. So whatever happens on the first day is going to give you an exponential result, whether that's positive or negative. If you fail to fund in the first day or really the first two days, it will be an exponential negative. I mean, we could spend a thousand dollars a day in ads for Facebook and you would have a really hard time funding your project mm -hmm. just because that's, that's the way it goes. So your opportunity, uh, you know, for, for results is on the first day. Like you need to plan for your Kickstarter campaign to, to be, to reach maximum exposure on the first day. How, how many did we quote that he might get? 
uh, how many four emails? emails. Four to eight hundred. Yeah. That's that's on the very low end. It really depends on the game and how popular, how how it's resonating with the market. You know, we just we've just launched a, a project, and before they launched, they did like two months of pre-marketing, and yeah. they've got two thousand over two thousand emails. So Game Code Union Stockyards, which I'm going to be honest, when we first got it, I was like, okay, this is interesting because it's like a meat packing game, and I thought. Okay, I don't know how this is like. I don't know how people are going to react to this. Turns out people loved it. <laughs> so <laughs> I think he somehow he tapped into like an, an audience, which is really interesting because it's based on it's a, it's a historical game based on a meatpacking factory, the biggest meatpacking packing factory in the world in Chicago, called the Union Stockyard. And you have people who are like, oh yeah, my grandfather worked there. I can't wait to get this game. So they've got like a family connection to that place. So it, yeah, it was interesting to, like, to see. I like barbecue. Yeah, other people like I like meat. So it, it was just a. And other people are like, oh, I like, you know, uh, economic type of games because uh, it's like you have to buy. Like an economic euro. Yeah. So it was just really interesting. So, yeah, that, that sort of did, it, it exceeded my expectations and it's doing quite well. And so I think that's just an example of a game that just sort of resonated with the market, did, did pretty well. And, yeah, did got a good cost per lead, got lots of engagement. It's sort of like uh, I could say a prime example of like an ideal example of how we would want a campaign to go. You know, the mo most important day on Kickstarter or other crowdfunding platforms is day one. And so, of course, your advertising cost will will need to be and will be higher um, leading up to day one. But then, of course, after day one, it, it'll be lower. So your average actually will be below that, if I'm if I'm assuming correctly, based on your advertising budget. Whatever amount you spend, let's just say you spend, he used like $3,400 in his example before you actually go to Kickstarter and before you launch so you spend 3400 bucks and then you launch. You get enough backers to fund on your first day. That's, I mean, that's really, really important and huge, but let's say the return is not that great. Well, because you funded, you are going to gain an, so there's an exponential return because of, if you fund on the first day, you'll probably end up funding anywhere between three and 500% of your original goal. As long as your original goal was, was fair and not, you know, if it was $5,000 for an AEG product or something, then of course you're going to blow that or a tiny Epic Games product. You're going to blow that number out of the, the water by a significant margin, but they're, they're kind of expecting that. Right. And so for a company like a new person coming in for their first Kickstarter or second Kickstarter, maybe their first time using a marketing company, they really need to fund that first day. And in order to realize the reward of, you know, that, three to 500% range that we oftentimes see. So in Union Stockyard's case, I think they reached over 200% funding in the first day. And uh, they're, they're currently at, like their goal is $14,200 and they're just over 31,000 at the time of this uh, recording here, but um, 466 backers. So I think that the narrow-mindedness of you know, is the marketing cost this much and I gained that much out of it. Um, if you're limiting it to like, I gained 15% of my email list to back the game, um, then you're missing out on the rest. Uh, so you've got that exponential return that happens over the course of the campaign. And that would have never happened if you didn't get the ball rolling. So, you know, that the analogy of the snowball, you know, you have to pack it and push it down a hill and really work on it. But eventually it becomes, it rolls on its own and becomes an avalanche and so on and so forth. 
Well, that would have never happened if you didn't pack that little snowball and work hard and spend money to build your email list, if that all makes sense. And then the second thing is a lot of people will equate the, you know, the ad campaign they're doing for this game only with itself, rather only with the game itself. They don't look at it like they're actually building a company. And so the first, we just, we were just talking about Steamforge games with RuneScape and whatnot, and they have a significantly sized email list from their other campaigns. They've been building that as a company for a long time. And that's why they can go after an IP like RuneScape, give away a healthy chunk of, of their profit because they know they're going to have enough backers to justify it. Why? Because they've built that asset over time. They've built backer loyalty. They've built, you know, their email list. They've built their communities and so on. And that's what you're doing with, you know, with our marketing services in particular, we make sure that you own everything that we do for you. So your email list, your Facebook groups, these are all things that you can leverage for future campaigns too. And that actually, if you look at that, that especially if you're doing an expansion for an existing game, the return on investment of your initial marketing becomes a little bit ridiculous. It's kind of an astronomical number at, at, at that point when you launch your next campaign. As well, you, you get this very valuable asset, which is a community. And I was, Andrew, I was just thinking of you and seeing some of your posts lately it's really great how you can leverage your deliverance community which is active and large to you can mobilize it to do things which are really cool like you had a friend who was doing a convention and they couldn't they needed some some help and you could just say hey this person needs help and you direct a bunch of people there and most people can't do that most people are like i've got a friend and yeah, he's kind of screwed because i don't have a big platform that i can leverage so you get this really cool thing called a community that you are then able to use in multiple ways not just promote your games but you know there's there's lots of utility with which comes with this process outside of kickstarter itself so that's something to keep in mind as well then also you know after the campaign's over it you know is another thing i mean when deliverance raised three hundred fourteen thousand dollars on kickstarter and then uh when we actually made it to the pledge manager up until this point we've raised just over a hundred thousand more but we've had um several hundred additional backers come and I mean, that's, that's awesome. We can still leverage the existing email list. I mean, of our emails, we have about 4,400 emails. We had, um, I want to say just over a thousand actually back the campaign, um, at this point. And, um, so about a 25% conversion rate overall, which is, of course is higher than the 10 to 15% that we estimate, uh, by a significant margin, it's two and a half times higher than the low end of that, of that estimate. But the the idea is that I can still use that email list. There are, you know, 3000 people or more that have not yet backed the Kickstarter or the backer kit, and they are ripe targets for future for the future. Now, in addition, they also serve to uh, for use in things like lookalike audiences on Facebook and 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 other things like that, which will and play testing. Yeah, you've been doing a lot of testing lately, and you've been able to leverage. You, know, you don't have to pay people to play test. You've got fans now who just will want to play test for you. So that's going to save save you money. Yeah, yeah, we've yeah we've got oh like twenty one people in our Discord that I that I picked out of our fans that are really excited about play testing and they're putting games in. They're putting work in to to get it done, and that's just because they love the game and they are they feel like they belong to the community. So. 
and this is going to really help. Like like Andrew was saying, you know, you want to make a business out of it. So the idea, I mean, you know, of course, the original idea when we we you know we we build a game that we love, it's our baby, we launch it. But the idea is to keep going and have more babies. You want lots of babies. Yeah, you want to be Andrew Lowe. <laughs> like, like Andrew, like Andrew, you know, with his with his billion babies um, on his Texas ranch. When you start on your next game. You got the emails. You have the community. So your ad spend is going to be a, a lot less. Like And like I was saying, you know, before you had to pay hundreds to thousands of dollars for someone to do a review of your game. Now you got like hundreds of volunteers that'll do it for free on your next game. So, I mean, everything, you know, it all it all compounds. So if you're looking towards the future, yes, it is. It is an investment for, you know, it could be a chunky investment for some of us, especially us that have lower incomes. And, you know, it's our first game. And we're not, you know, we're not, we don't have the money. To, to do it, but it pays itself off. And then in the future, you know, you're, the costs are going to be less and the profits are going to be more and it'll keep going. In fact, this company um, that's doing the, the RuneScape, they've already done all these games and they already have more planned out. They're, they're just rolling and they're going. It's They got their snowballs going and they're having a great time now. So yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to be expensive at first. And that's how it is. You got to put some grit, some effort, and a, you know, a little bit of a polish in there and get it going. And then, but once you get it going, then you got something going for you. Yep. And the reality is, you know, we did this podcast, not because we wanted necessarily to get more work. I didn't realize that it would result in more work at the time, but we knew that there were a large group of folks that could not afford a marketing company and that needed the marketing advice that were making so many mistakes that were, that would have been prevented with just the right advice. And so that's really what we made this podcast for, you know? And so we recognize that there are a large group that listen to this podcast that are not able to invest into a marketing company to do things for them and that they need to do things themselves. And so the, you know, us as a marketing company, we're not a great fit for everybody going to Kickstarter. You know, if it's your first project, and you only have a thousand dollars to invest into things, I would not recommend that you would pay us, you know, half of that so that you can do stuff. I, I think that you need to find smart ways to leverage that money and you need to do a lot more organic work. It's just, uh, that's one of those things I want to make sure our listeners understand is that we believe that when you're ready for a marketing company, it's when you're able to you know, afford the service. And when you have the project that you believe is going to be large enough, you know, to, to justify bringing a company like ours on board, that's really when you want to use a marketing agency. We love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so like, like Andrew was saying, we're not for everyone, but we also don't accept everyone who throws money at us. <laughs> some people like yeah. try, some people think they could be like, er, here's money. Do my, do my game. And we're like, no, you know, it's, it's a, it's more of a mutual, a mutual agreement. Well, you're crowdfunding accelerators. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll tell you if your game sucks. <laughs> <laughs> to put it bluntly, we all some yeah. Well, 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 we won't say it sucks. We'll just say there's some things. A lot of times, you know, that, and that's another reason why people use our services is because they have an idea that looks great to them, but overall, you know, the the idea of of crowdfunding is the people out there, and you you need to entice the people out there, just not yourself and your family. So we're looking at it from an outside point of view. That we we have no like most of our clients, the majority of our clients, we don't even know who they are until they become clients. So we have an outside third party perspective 
and we're looking at your game from a buyer's point of view. And so sometimes we feel that the the um, the people that are wanting our services aren't quite ready to go that step. And so that happens too. And like I said, you know, what we do isn't like rocket science. It's not anything, you know, that's like, you know, we don't have like the secret like cults and we have a secret, you know, the magic circle, (laughs) the magic circle. Well, we do have the magic circle, but, uh, and the virtuous cycle, the virtuous cycle. One's a circle, one's a cycle, and they're not the same. (laughs) We share everything we do with you on this podcast. So if you don't have the budget to afford our services, which it happens, I'm, you know, we're not going to hate you. We still love you. Just listen to our podcast by visiting crowdfundingnerds.com. TM. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode. So anyway, <laughs> head over to crowdfundingnerds.com if you need some more information on this lovely crowdfunding community. Also, we have a great community on Facebook at crowdfunding nerds community on the uh, big the the Facebook. And of course, as always, if you are interested in our services and you think that there might be a good little uh, mutual match between the two of us, head over to crowdfundingnerds.com and hit the hire us button and fill out the form. And we'll see, you know, if it's going to work out. And like we we're saying, you know, sometimes it works out great and sometimes we may not be a match. But if we're not a match, we'll point you the way to go because that's what we do because we're crowdfunding nerds. So with that in mind, we will see you again next week. But until then, stay nerdy. <laughs>